Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Luhoko and Figile Lengwati. In our top stories, in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa. The standoff between South Africa's finance minister and the Hawks draws mixed reaction from parties in parliament. South Africa's High Court to hear state's application for leave to appeal Oscar Pistorius' sentence and calls for East European countries to ease their restrictions on Middle Eastern migrants. In economics news, South Africa's transport minister speaks out on the passenger rail agency. And in sports news, Kenya's minister of sports disbands the Olympic Committee. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. Very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Al-Shabaab militants in Somalia have killed seven people after attacking a beach restaurant in the capital Mogadishu. The assault began with a car bomb explosion outside the Benadir Beach Club in the Lido area. There was an exchange of fire. Police say two of the gunmen were killed and another was wounded and has been arrested. Al-Shabaab has carried out a series of deadly attacks in Somalia in attempts to topple the Western-backed government, in January, its militants stormed another restaurant in Lido Beach, killing 17 people. On Sunday, more than 20 people were killed when Al-Shabaab suicide bombers detonated two cars, two car bombs at a local government headquarters in Somalia's Puntland region. Burundi police have detained eight people accused of being members of a WhatsApp group for defaming the government and insulting public institutions. Police say the eight were among 54 people arrested in the capital Bujumbura on Saturday. They say all but the eight were released the same day. Rights groups say the continued detentions are another example of the shrinking democratic space in Burundi following President Pien Kurunziza's tested pursuit of a third term in office last year. At least 500 people have died in Burundi since April 2015 in a crisis caused by Nkurunziza's extended tenure. Liberty's unity, Libya's unity government has asked Washington to step up its military assistance. Leader of the government of National Accord, Faiz al-Sarraj, made the request during talks with AFRICOM's commander and a U.S. special envoy for Libya. The U.S. has been backing Libya's unity government efforts to retake the coastal city of Sirte from ISIS, with American jets pounding the jihadist positions and equipment since the start of August. The High Court in Johannesburg is set to hear the state's application for leave to appeal Oscar Pastorius' sentence 
In July, the convicted murderer was handed down a six-year sentence by Judge Tokuzile Masipa. She found compelling and substantial circumstances that persuaded her to deviate from the minimum sentence of 15 years imprisonment. The former Paralympian shot and killed his girlfriend, Rivas Tienkamp, at his Pretoria home in February 2013. Last year, the Supreme Court of Appeal found Pretoria guilty of murder, overturning his earlier conviction of culpable homicide. The state has described the sentence as shockingly lenient. Noma Bulani reports. According to the state's judge Masipa erred when she found the mitigating factors to be compelling enough to deviate from the minimum sentence despite the aggravating factors argued. From the heads of argument, Prosecutor Kheri Nell is expected to argue that Masipa underemphasized the facts that Pistorius failed to fire a warning shot when he fired four bullets into the toilet door knowing there was a human being inside the small cubicle. Nell is also expected to argue that Pistorius felt to show remorse as he couldn't offer an explanation to why he shot at the door. According to the state, Judge Masipa overemphasized Pistorius' personal circumstances, particularly the vulnerability. Meanwhile, legal expert Dr. Llewellyn Kolos says the state's application for its application for leave to appeal Oscar Pastorius' six-year murder sentence has merit. Yes, I do think so. In, in a nutshell, uh, the mere fact that uh, Judge Masipa, when she handed down sentencing last time around, deviated from the prescribed minimum sentence for more than nine years in comparison to what the legislator actually makes provision for, in itself suggests that uh, there's definitely merits in Harry uh, Nell's argument that uh, she might have been wrong on the sentence. I mean... It is shockingly lenient. I do agree with that sentiment. And that is probably the basis and the foundation for his uh, argument and request for leave to appeal. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.06 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. A South African Financial and Fiscal Commission says it is concerned that the ongoing standoff between Finance Minister Pravin Gordana and the Hawks could affect the budget process. The FFC Commission is a Chapter 9 institution established to provide advice to National Treasury on the division of revenue between the spheres of government. The Commission says it's unfortunate that the standoff comes at a critical point in the budget process. To give us a political view, here's political commentator Professor Diniko Maluleke. Technically and strictly speaking, he is correct. My sense is that he is saying this uh, in, a, in an attempt to, uh, to queer the markets and to, to save, uh, to save the, the rent and, and perhaps even to save face in, uh, in the light of the many allegations that are doing the rounds. Uh, you know, these, uh, these allegations could be grouped into several uh, types. I mean, there is an allegation set around the state capture. Uh, there is an allegation set around 
the cost of um, of dragging a minister of finance through this investigative, through a lengthy investigative process uh, without without charges, uh, which means that by the time the charges come, uh, if they come, um, and then you have still a long uh, process of litigation. Uh, you know, you know, the economy might not be able to withstand such an extended period of um, of litigation, and and so there are concerns for the economy and the the lack of agency that seems to to accompany the the hawks effort uh, to indict uh, the minister. Almost uh, some people saying that. It's more like intimidation tactics rather than mm-hmm. uh, intentions to charge him. You know, so I think the presidency spoke uh, in order to deal with these uh, these things that are that are going around. There have been voices that have said that the president should come outright and support the finance minister. Do you agree with this? I don't know that he can support uh, because support him for what? He, the minister of finance has not been charged. So I mean, there is a sense in which uh, there's a lot of, uh, of uh, uh, I nearly said nonsense, but maybe I should. <laughs> there's a lot of nonsense going on in that we don't really know what we are dealing with uh, because there are no charges on the table. I don't think this country can afford uh, having a minister of finance uh, going to court again and again over allegations such as the ones we still have, have still to, to learn about, plus the fact that he himself, the president, might soon be going to court himself. So I don't know that mm. any country in the world can afford two senior, the most senior uh, cabinet positions, the president and the finance minister, uh, to be dragged through the courts for too long. So I, I quite honestly feel that we are moving into crisis mode in this country. Uh, and I have no clue... Um, where we are going and why. And and that's why I am beginning to give more and more consideration to the allegations of state capture and, and others. Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa said um, the country must not wage a war in itself. And um, as much as you're saying, uh, if the president was to say the, um, he supports um, the finance minister, he wouldn't know what he's supporting the finance minister for. Um, the deputy president has said that he supports the finance minister and the government must not wage a war in itself. Do you think the government is waging a war in itself here? I think so. I think that the government is waging a war on itself. I think that the ANC is waging a war on itself. I actually wonder whether there are factions, not only in the ANC, but also within government. Let me tell you what is curious about what is happening here. Just yesterday, we were told that a new coordinating council is being formed, which uh, empowers the president to have oversight over state-owned enterprises. Just yesterday, we were told that uh, the Minister of Transport is is, is ordering Prasa to stop investigating uh, criminal charges. Uh, that uh, you know, the board of Prasa to stop in investigating criminal charges. This is madness. 
just to wrap it up, uh, Professor Denyego Maluleke, um, what do you think is supposed to happen here now? Um, the finance minister hasn't been charged. He said he's not presenting himself to the Hawks because he hasn't been charged. Um, the president says he can't um, intervene. And the deputy president seems to be saying um, something else and going against the president and saying pretty much that the country is waging a war in itself. What's the way forward? What should be happening here? I think that if uh, there are laws that have been broken by Pravin Godan and those cha- uh, apparently called up by the the hawks with him, they should they should charge them and charge them yesterday, and 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 let's move as a country. Uh, otherwise, they should stop uh, uh, intimidating them because it's too costly to the country. I mean, we are playing marbles, in my view with the lives of South Africans, with the economy of this country. I don't know what is going on, you know, with, uh, with our leaders. Do they realize the, the cost of this? Of course, if, if Pravin Gordon is uh, in the wrong, say so. But don't call him to help you to investigate him. How many times can he help you? He has answered questions already. That was Professor Dinyeko Maluleke, South Africa political commentator speaking to Spumelele Zondi. South African Labour Federation, Kasatu, has kept the door open for members of Food and Allied Workers Union who want to stay in the federation. Kasatu says it is not bothered by its affiliate FAO's decision to leave, saying it was a long, it was long time coming. Kasatu addressed the media following its Central Executive Committee meeting. It also reflected on the tripartite alliance in the aftermath of the local government elections and the possible arrest of Finance Minister Pravin Gordon. Busichimombe reports. Kosatu says the writing was on the wall that FAO is preparing its exit. This includes not paying its affiliate fees amounting to 5 million rands for the last nine months and celebrating May Day outside the program of Kosatu. FAO has been on the warpath with Kosatu, unhappy with the expulsions of former General Secretary Zulinzi Mavavi and Metal Workers Union Numsa. Kosatu says FAO has actively worked against Kosatu, so its decision this week to leave comes as no surprise. President Strumot Lamini, however, says FAO is a divided house with many members unwilling to quit the federation. Actual members of FAO are making the call to us and say we do not want to leave Kosatu. Our leaders have announced that FAO has left Kosatu, has taken a decision to leave Kosatu. We're saying to them, no, don't worry. Kosatu remains your home. If your leaders have taken FAO out of Kosatu, Kosatu will find a better place for you. We'll unleash the resources to support those workers and their organizers who are expelled and their leaders and ensure that they have a warm home in Kosatu. In its discussions, Kosatu CEC reflected on the local government election results and its alliance partner, the ANC's poor showing, particularly in the country's metros. The Labour Federation says it will hold joint meetings with the ANC and the South African Communist Party to chart a way forward for what it says is a weakened alliance. It says it's not opposed to the call by the ANC Youth League for the early convening of the ANC's national conference scheduled for 2017. Second Deputy President Zingiswa Lossi says Kosatu is still listening and considering some of the reasons put forward by those making such a call. If there is such a decision, we are not going to oppose that decision. But we are not going to make a decision that 
the ANC must go to an early conference. When we do that, we'll do that as members of the ANC in our own branches. So we're not going to say COSATO supports a call of the ANC Youth League because that call by the ANC Youth League must still be tested in the structures of the ANC. It must still go through the discussions within the ANC structures and a decision then must arise. Regarding the subsequent coalitions that have allowed the DA to run the Johannesburg and Swane metros, COSATO says opposition parties, a veiled reference to the EFF, have shown themselves to be ideological turncoats using left rhetoric to dupe the working classes. The Federation says it will be watching the DA-led local authorities closely. Lossi again. We are quite aware of the position of the DA when it comes to them believing that the workers of South Africa have more rights than uh, those that are coming to this country to make investments. So indeed, COSATO will be with all workers, particularly municipal workers, in the DA metros and municipalities uh, where the DA is, is leading. On the current standoff between Finance Minister Praveen Gordon and the Hawks, Kosato has warned the Special Investigations Agency against being sensationalist in the way it does its work. This after the Hawks summoned Gordon and other SARS former officials to its offices today to receive a warning statement, a process which normally precedes charges being laid. The Hawks have been investigating Gordon and the other officials for the alleged bugging of National Prosecution Agency officers by the SARS investigative unit. While Cosato has declined to make a judgment call on whether Gordon should honor the appointment with the Hawks or not, it says the investigations agency must exercise care in the way it conducts itself. General Secretary Begin Jalin Jali. No one is above law in the first place, but at the same time, the law enforcement agencies must act responsibly. They must not do the Hollywood style in terms of uh, how they handle people. And uh, our warning is to the hawks that they should not behave like the scorpions and up being, being discredited or being perceived to be entering in internal or political battles. That report by Busi Chimombe. The South African High Court in Johannesburg is set to hear the state's application for leave to appeal Oscar Pistorius' sentence. In July, the convicted murderer was handed down a six-year sentence by Judge Togozile Masipa. She found that there were compelling and substantial circumstances that persuaded her to deviate from the minimum sentence of 15 years imprisonment. The former Paralympian shot and killed Riva Stienkamp at his Pretoria home in February 2013. Last year, the Supreme Court of Appeal found Pistorius guilty of murder, overturning his earlier conviction of culpable homicide. The state has described the sentence as shockingly lenient and an injustice. Noma Bolani reports. High Court Judge Togozile Masipa found that the mitigating factors argued during the sentence hearing in July outweighed the aggravating factors. She found that Oscar Pistorius had shown remorse for his actions as he apologized publicly to Riva Steenkamp's parents during the trial. She added that Pistorius tried to save Steenkamp's life after the shooting and found this as another mitigating factor. 
The High Court judge noted that Pistorius was a candidate for rehabilitation and the factors of retribution and deterrence shouldn't play a dominant role in the sentencing. Masipa explained that he had taken into account the interests of society but highlighted that the court was not ruled by public opinion but the rule of law. She's found that the appropriate sentence would be a medium term as he has already served a year behind bars. According to the state's judge, Masipa erred when she found the mitigating factors to be compelling enough to deviate from the minimum sentence, despite the aggravating factors argued. From the heads of argument, Prosecutor Harry Nels expected to argue that Masipa underemphasized the facts that Pistorius failed to fire a warning shot when he fired four bullets into the toilet door, knowing there was a human being inside the small cubicle. Nels also expected to argue that Pistorius failed to show remorse, as he couldn't offer an explanation to why he shot at the door. In addition to that fact, the convicted murderer elected not to testify in a sentence hearing to explain why he acted in the manner he did. According to the state, Judge Masipa overemphasized Pistorius' personal circumstances, particularly the vulnerability, and gave little weight to the anguish Rivas Dienkam must have felt moments before her death or the effects her death had on her family. Pistorius' legal team will oppose the application. In responding papers submitted to court earlier this month, lawyer Barry Rue submits the state's application has no merit. Rue is expected to argue that Judge Masipa's judgment was just and that there isn't a reasonable prospect of a successful appeal. He's expected to raise the facts that Pistorius has already served one year in jail and another seven months under strict house arrest, and coupled with the six-year sentence that would amount to a total of eight years. Rue will argue that this term is appropriate for the convicted murderer. The advocate will most likely also raise the point that the application was filed a day after the 14-day period permissible by law. Oscar Pistorius will not be in court for this sitting. Earlier this month, it was rumored he attempted suicide after suffering injuries to his wrists. His family has since rubbished those claims. I'm Noma Bolani in Johannesburg. The state is expected to call an investigating officer to the stand this morning when the bail application of the CEO of Sotheby's International Jason Road continues. The 47-year-old road yesterday appeared in the South African Stellenbosch Magistrates Court for the first time in connection with the murder of his wife last month. Chris Mabuya reports. The body of Rodi's wife, Susan, was found on the 25th of July in a bathroom at Spear Wine Estate in Stellenbosch where the couple attended a Sotheby's conference. The incident was first reported as suicide, but a post-mortem later revealed that the deceased had been strangled. Rodi was arrested at his home in Randberg, north of Johannesburg, on Tuesday. He made his first appearance to apply for bail. The state requested a seven-day postponement for further investigation, but his lawyers objected citing a number of reasons including that police arrested Rodi illegally and that this has traumatized his three teenage daughters. His lawyer Pete Mihalik argued that the state has all relevant information pertaining to bail application and that the state has no evidence linking the accused with the death of his wife. Outside court, a spokesperson for the defense, Tony Mostert, decline a request for an interview. I'll be releasing a press statement in due course. After the bail application, the press will then have the opportunity of looking at that, and if there are further questions, it can be directed to me. 
preferably in writing, and we'll then address that. But definitely no comment until the bail application is completed. In an affidavit, Rodi says he has fully cooperated with police, undergone a DNA test, and has flown between Johannesburg and Cape Town on a number of occasions to make himself available to police. He states further that he and his wife were both receiving counselling and that on two occasions a report by a joint marriage counsellor pointed out that his wife could be a suicide risk and should seek help immediately. State Prosecutor Karin Tienison says she will call the investigating officer to testify when the bail application resumes this morning. I'm Chris Mabuya in Cape Town. Thousands of mourners converged on the University of Fort Hare in South Africa's Eastern Cape Province to bid farewell to the late former Premier, Reverend Makengesi Stofile. He died a week ago at the age of 72. As Lubabalo Dada reports, speaker after speaker recalled how committed he was in church, politics and in sport. Previous and current cabinet ministers, religious leaders, academics in their academic regalia and community at large filled the university's sports complex in Alice to pay their last respects to a man who served the country without expecting anything in return. The program, which began at 9 o'clock, was meant to finish at 12 but went on until almost 3. Defense Minister Nosiviwe Mapisa Ngakula, who was among the officials who received the body at home, has applauded Stofile for the role he played in the liberation struggle. He says his name will resonate in the hearts and minds of South Africans for many years to come. A very committed man, very committed to his family, but also very committed to the people of South Africa. Kombinstov lived all four pillars of the struggle of the people of South Africa. That of being a member of Mkondo Wesizwe, mobilizing the masses, that of mobilizing international solidarity for the African National Congress, and that of being an underground cadre. So he, and that's what he resembles. So when you talk about the four pillars which have put us where we are today, for us to acquire this freedom, you should look at those and look at Stofile, and you'll know that he symbolizes exactly that. As a committed political activist, Stofile would spend most of his time away from home but made it a point to show his love and affection for his siblings whenever he had time to be with his family. This is the testimony of his son-in-law, Simpiwe Mpie, who described his passing as a great loss. Despite his departure, he says they've gained knowledge from his wisdom. He, you know, he was a great intellectual. We will remember him very much as, a, as an educator remember him as a very humble person you know a lot of people talk about humility when people have died but you know he was the true embodiment of it in the way he lived his life he traveled the world he dealt with state with great um, leaders from around the world but he remained humble during his tenure as sports minister he was vocal about transformation especially in rabi former springbok manager zolaya says stofili was not just a visionary leader but also active in ensuring that transformation took place. He wanted things to happen the right way. Uh, his background gave him the kind of backbone so strong that he wanted us, young boys, to do the right thing all the time. He was one of the champions of non-racial sport, Brastov, an epicenter, so to speak, because he was not just an ordinary person, a bystander who was apathetic. He worked very hard and tirelessly to see that transformation takes place in South Africa. 
he was one of the first ministers to come with the legislation that transformation must happen at all costs. He is survived by his mother, wife and children. I am Lubabalo Tata in Alice. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.28 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. South Africa's trade relations with the rest of Africa seems exciting despite corruption and civil war being an impediment. These are the concerns raised by delegates attending the five-day matchmaking Africa conference in Pretoria. The conference is a platform to promote and facilitate business partnerships between South Africa and other African states. Phil Moyana compiled this report. Corruption and civil war are some of the challenges affecting investors doing business in Africa. However, the country's trade with the rest of the continent has exceeded 220 billion rand, which amounted to 17% South Africa's total global trade. Delegates participating in the conference aimed to encourage business and investor confidence. Delegates believe widespread corruption is scaring investors, making Africa an unfriendly ground for trade. More than 100 delegates from the continent, including countries like Tanzania, Nigeria, Botswana, Namibia, Mauritius and Rwanda, have been invited to the conference. Tuana Mayor Solem Simanga told delegates that the lack of democratic values are part of the challenges that hinder intra-Africa business relations and investment. Shared values of governance and democratic principles need to be entrenched in all facets of African development. There are visible progress in governance in standards and in, in governance standards in Africa, ranging from the initiatives of, um, to combat um, corruption and improve economic and financial management, efforts to, de- uh, to democratize the political system and promote independent and judiciary, and the dependency of judiciary and the relationship with civil uh, society organizations and the media. However, the challenges of uh, institutionalizing good governance and the building of resilient economies remain enormous. The director of Prize Water Coopers, Alan Sekombe, touches on some of the challenges businesses face in the continent. Then we come across corruption. I think you know everybody's aware, and South Africa is not immune to that. That uh, you know corruption, particularly in, in a number of the African countries, uh, you know DRC, Angola, etc., is rife. And uh, you know a lot of the money that's generated is spirited away out of the economy, which, if it was left in the economy, would obviously generate growth, jobs, and economy. And that report by Phil Moyana. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Al-Shabaab militants in Somalia have killed seven people after attacking a beach restaurant in the capital Mogadishu. Burundi police have detained eight people accused of being members of a WhatsApp group for defaming the government and insulting public institutions. And former South African Paralympian Oscar Pastores' legal team is expected to oppose the state's application for leave to appeal his sentence. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. South African businessman, academic and former Director General of Foreign Affairs, Sipo Pigana, had social media abuzz after he said President Jacob Zuma is an embarrassment. Pigana was a speaker at the special official funeral of Mankengesi Stofile in the Eastern Cape and called on Zuma to step down. The criticism comes amid widespread concern about the Hawks' latest probe into Finance Minister Pravin Gordon. Deputy President Sil Ramaphosa also came out in support of Gordon, saying Gordon's integrity is beyond question. To speak to us more on this, we're now joined on the line by political analyst Professor Dirk Kotze. Prof, good morning and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning. Thank you very much. Now, what do you make of Bijana's utterances? Do you think that this will encourage more from within the ruling African National Congress to speak out? I think we are seeing more and more persons speaking out. Uh, we have seen now the Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa. Um, well, we can even start with President Zuma, who said that he supports his, his Minister of Finance, but that he cannot intervene in the investigation by, by the walks. But we are seeing it also from you know the, the business community in general, uh, black leadership, SA, for example, they have uh, issued a, a, a public uh, letter, open letter, um, and, and many others. Over and above, obviously, the response from the international community and especially the, 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 the um, markets. Um, and if we look, for example, at the, at the exchange value of, of the grant at the moment. So there, there's an, sort of a flood of uh, support for the Minister Kevin Gordon, um, and it, it just sort of loads the, the the dice, if I can say it in that, against the President Zuma more and more. Over and above that is obviously the, the problems within SAA, which is even if this matter with Minister Kevin Gordon is resolved or they disappear, the, the issues of SAA is not going to disappear. Um, and I think this is going to really cause it a deep problem for for the for the government and the, the president Zuma specifically are we already seeing signs of a huge power struggle within the african national congress well it is ongoing it's it's about the third time that we are seeing this it becomes almost cyclical that whenever Kevin uh, uh, gordon as as minister of finance and in charge of the treasury is making pronouncements about, especially the SOEs, um, and that's and in this case now SAA. In the past, it was sometimes ESCOM, um, the SABC, and in some instances, um, then there, there's a reaction or response, and then the issue of SARS and and the works immediately appear again. So there seems to be a tendency that's developing of of almost a power struggle between, on the one hand, the Treasury who wants to deal with these matters of the SLE in a more in a financial, in a prudent sense of, of fiscal uh, discipline, um, and then the, the President Zuma or the persons that are uh, allegedly sort of 
on his side or acting on his behalf, um, then they respond. Um, so it, it becomes, it's not so much in the end an issue about whether there is a genuine investigation, but rather who is the operant. So it becomes a form of brinkmanship, of a test of, of will, of who, who ultimately is the one that can prevail. And I think this, this is the, the worrying aspect of this current situation. Now, just looking at uh, the press statement that was released by the presidency, stating that President Zuma has no power to stop an investigation like this, is it safe to conclude that the Hawks will continue pursuing a case against uh, Finance Minister Gordon? No, it's it's not. Uh, um, and if based on the two previous uh, inc- uh, instances or incidents, um, it's, it's not necessarily the case. Uh, what we've seen in the past is that once they reach this stage um, and that uh, when Minister Gordon says, well, I'm not going to cooperate or I'm not under the obligation in terms of law to cooperate, then they normally back down. I guess we are going to see something similar again um, because if if there is this public reaction and the reaction from within the ANC, you know, in the past, the, the Secretary General, Gordon Montasha, added his voice to it in support of uh, Kevin Gordon, and I think the same applies in this case. Um, then it will be exceptionally difficult for the, the Hawks or any other investigative sort of element, as well as the MPA, to really to continue. Um, I think in terms of the overall strategy, it is in any case not what President Zuma wants. He doesn't want Kevin Gordon to be in court and to with the possibility that he can be acquitted because then this issue of SARS disappears as something which he can use against Kevin uh, Gordon in sort of to cut him back in terms of the powers that he developed over time um, in con- as, as the person or as the minister who controls the Treasury. Now, just looking at uh, the reaction from the political parties in Parliament, Prof, there's different um, uh, calls. On the one side, we have political parties like the UDM, for instance, calling for um, Finance Minister Gulhan to sort of... go and see, meet with the Hawks and, and finalize this issue. And on the other hand, we have uh, parties like the ACDP saying there's already been a meeting. He's already sent through letters stating, um, qu- responding to questions that were already posed to him. This sort yes, of reaction and the call for him to, to handle this very quickly. What do you think uh, Finance Minister Gordon should, should do? Well, I, I think what is, is, is the approach that he's following at the moment is to say, I'm not going to play according to, to the rules determined by by the NPA, by, by the Hawks, or by, by by implication maybe by President Zuma, because the moment I subject myself to that, then, I bec- then I'm pulled into this process from which I cannot extract myself again. So what, what he's in, in a way trying to do is to almost, you know, to put it in very crude terms, to, to call the bluff of the of, of the walks. So far, it did work. Um, and I think what is, is an, at the same time, what he's implying is that this is not a proper investigative procedure. It, it almost goes back to the time of, of the Mbeki period where, ironically, the, the Zuma side then was accusing President Mbeki and those around him of using state institutions as a way of trying to to combat him in order of, of the political 
competition and struggle that happened, or power struggle that happened between them. And I think Kevin Gordon said in the, the same terms, um, and therefore he does, he says, you know, I want to define it in my own terms, and I don't want to subject myself to their rules of the game. Um, and therefore he does not want to cooperate, which it seems like in terms of law is, is backed up by, by that, and he does not have the responsibility or the obligation to do it. I think that the course from some parties is more of a almost a moral call to say, you know, try to get it behind you, um, and then it hopefully will disappear. I, I, I guess is is that that approach will not necessarily remove the situation because if he's not acquitted in in, uh, in by a court, it can reappear at any time again. Now, just looking at uh, his former colleagues, um, former SARS Deputy Commissioner Ivan Pillay and former SARS Group CEO Johan van Lochrenberg, they reported to the Hawks offices yesterday. Will this not work against the finance minister at a later stage? No, I, I think the main difference between the two categories of persons is, is that those were persons in, employed by SARS who were directly involved in this investigative unit. So they were directly involved in the operational side of it. So while uh, Minister Gordon was at that stage the National Commissioner of SARS, so he had an overall almost political responsibility for it. Now, what we've seen in the past, Take, for example, the situation, the events at Marikana and, and many other similar ones, is that those who were politically, politically responsible for those situations did not take political responsibility for that. But it was sort of scaled down to the officials. In, in the case of Marikana, now the National Commissioner of Police is now targeted as the person who must take all responsibility. So... It will be exceptionally difficult for for any person or for any institution, a prosecuting institution, to link Kevin uh, Gordon directly to whatever they accuse this unit that they have done, because he was not operationally involved in it. So he cannot be linked directly to that, and and that is why I think there's there's a there's a, a difference is is made between him on the one hand and those who were more directly involved. Now, Prof, going back to what uh, Pigana said as a speaker at uh, the special official funeral of uh, former Premier and Minister Stofile, is there a possibility for an early elective conference um, with for the ANC to reconstruct and rebuild the party? Theoretically, yes. Um, it is possible. It won't be against the Constitution. Um, but I think from a practical consideration, it will be quite difficult. And, and maybe before I explain that, I think there's also a difference of understanding of what should be the purpose of such a special conference. The idea originates from, from the ANC Youth League, and those who are close to them interpret their call as of being slightly opportunistic almost, of saying at the moment it seems like the, the pro-Zuma side is in a stronger position than those who are not part of them because of the election results, for example, in Gauteng, and that this is therefore an opportune moment for them to take the lead again in a, in an election. While Grady Montasha, on the other hand, sees the uh, early conference as an opportunity to rebuild and, and reunify the ANC. So there are different therefore, purposes at this stage as it is articulated. I think what what uh, what is 
from a more practical point of view, not a lot of preparation is necessary for a national conference. First, they have to have, uh, before the national conference, a national policy conference. In order to have that, they have, need to develop discussion documents, normally it's 10 or 11 discussion documents. Um, those documents must be distributed to all the different structures within the ANC. At the same time, the nomination process takes quite some time because it starts at, at the level of the branches, goes to the regions, and ultimately to the provinces. And so if that can be done in a shorter period of time, and very often it also requires some elective conferences in the provinces in order to have their, their leaders in leadership in place for the national conference. So it's quite a lot of preparations that need to be done. And the, the question is whether they can do it in a much shorter span period of time in order to have an earlier conference. Prof, unfortunately, we have run out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. And that was Professor Dirk Kotze, a political analyst, joining us on the line. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. For Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana, reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.45 and our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. Thanks, Lulu. Nigeria's Naira has been quoted at an all-time low of 409 to the US dollar on the black market compared with 402 the previous day. Nigeria's central bank suspended nine commercial banks from forex transactions on Tuesday for failing to pay money owed to the government, although one was readmitted after making a payment. Shares in some of the banks dropped by up to 7.8%. The organization Undoing Tax Abuse, Alta, says it's in the process of getting South African Airways Audit and Risk Committee Chairperson Yake Guinana, a declared a delinquent director. Guinana announced her resignation on Monday, saying she wanted to protect her reputation. She was one of only three remaining non-executive directors of SAA. Guinana has been a member of the SAA board since 2009. Alta's Director of Legal Affairs, Ivan Hasselman. She's been involved in the purging of very, very competent staff over an extended period. Now that SIA is in trouble, she wants to jump ship. This is a selfish act of self-preservation. 
I don't think she has an ounce of integrity in doing that. She is a chartered accountant and she should have known better at all times. Quinana says she resigned because of the current risky situation at SAA. She directly interfered with procurement matters. She was prepared to appoint transaction advisors and then confine their bids and pay them 250 million bucks for a job that wasn't even necessary, for which a contractor wasn't necessary. She's been involved in the purging of very, very competent staff over an extended period. Now that SAA is in trouble, she wants to jump ship. This is a selfish act of self-preservation. Her behavior and Dudu Mieni's behavior and the rest of the board members that kept voting in favor of this preposterous behavior have to be brought to book. A South African brewer has unveiled a program that will see Kenyan retailers receive a training on how to grow their businesses. In one of its latest efforts to expand its market share in Kenya, SAB Miller subsidiary Canbev will train retailers in the alcohol industry on how to deal with customers and increase profitability. The beer industry in Kenya is under tight grip of East African breweries, EABL, which controls over 70% of the market. Communication between small and medium enterprises and customers could be strengthened thanks to a new cloud solution unveiled by MTN Rwanda. Rwanda says Business Call Assist is an automated cloud IVR answering service that answers calls, gives clients important information, takes messages, manages customers' queries and diverts calls to relevant employees, much like having your own call center. The company says the solution will act as a call center between SMEs and customers. The U.S. dollar trades at 14.15 to the South African rand at 10.47 Botswana Pula, 10.47 in Zambia, 7.5 to the British pound, 8.8 euro, gold 1,000, $323, platinum 1,000, $74 per ounce, brand crude 49 dollars 55 cents a barrel. It's Channel Africa. Thank you, Tabi. So our sports update up next with Figle Lingwati. In our sports update this hour, under fire Kenya Sports Cabinet Secretary Hassan Wario disbanded the National Olympic Committee of Kenya, NOC, and transferred its duties to Sports Kenya. Wario, who has come under fire and pressure following complaints of mismanagement of Team Kenya at the Rio Olympic Series, he is transferring Knox's responsibilities to Sports Kenya on an interim basis. Management for a 21st century sporting activity in Kenya. This not only contravenes the, uh, the Sports Act, this activity, uh, laws of Kenya, but a gross mis- violation of the privileges accorded to the National Olympic Committee, Organizing Committee, under the Charter. No charter tells you you have to be independent and you run organizations down the way you want and mess people up and you know mess athletes up. This charter calls for a privilege which is responsible. In the view of the above, citing powers conferred upon me by the Sports Act, number 25 of 2013, and considering overwhelming public interest and public national interest, I do hereby do the following. Disband the National 
Organizing Committee of Kenya, National Organizing Committee of Kenya, NOC, Olympic Organizing Committee of Kenya, sorry, NOC, with immediate effect. NOC Secretary General Francis K. Paul says they are not in the wrong. The finance officer who is taking charge of the government's money, it is the government money which is being spent in Rio. And there is a government or a ministry's finance officer there. And the PS, who is the accounting officer, is also there. I don't see why anybody should, should sleep in, uh, in the favelas. No, I, I don't, I, anyway, I don't believe that is true. There are pictures. I also a video as well that the Olympic bronze, uh, bronze medalist is amongst them sleeping in the slums. Well, I don't want to believe that because I'm not there. But if that is the case, I think blame the ministry. Not knock. Not knock. We don't take money. No, 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 no. We did not buy tickets. We did not buy tickets. And no ticket was was bought late. The problem with tickets is that there was no flight on 24th when the team was supposed to depart Rio. The flight is coming today. They should have departed yesterday. But because of uh, the arrangements made uh, by the the ministry. That is why they, they, they have one day in Rio where they are purported to be sleeping in uh, pavelas. In rugby news, Springbok coach Alistair Kutsia says Saturday's test against Argentina in Salta will prove a tough challenge. In 2014, the box were somewhat very lucky to win 33-31 in Salta with a vociferous home crowd boosting the Argentines. Kutsia expects a similar hostile environment on Saturday. It's going to be a big challenge, and I think they fancy their chances uh, in Salta. But we've prepared well. We had a great week uh, of preparation. It's a long travel, and there's no excuses for us, and we don't expect any favours from Argentina. We, we will definitely plan well, and I think uh, you know, what we've, uh, our review showed that we've been in control for the first 19 minutes and the last 11 minutes. We, we, we have to make sure that we control um, the, the match for longer periods. Argentina will bid to avenge the defeat in South Africa five days ago with an unchanged team when the sides clash again in the rugby championship in Salta on Saturday. Coach Daniel Hokade's only change to the Puma squad named by the Argentine Rugby Union last night is on the bench with fullback wing Lucas Gonzalez Amorosino, a veteran of two World Cups, replacing Ramiro Moyano. Hokade and his players were angry with themselves for letting slip a 10-point lead in the last 10 minutes of the tournament opener in El Sprite last weekend, which ended in a 30-23 defeat by the Springboks. Back row forward, Juan Manuel Leguizanamon, a veteran of three World Cups, will win his 70th Pumas cap. The match will be played at the Estadio Patre Materiana in the northwestern Argentine city of Salta. And finally, with golf news, there's three-way tie at the top of the leaderboard after day one in Denmark. England's Tom Lewis looked on course for the first ever 59 on the main tour, but dropped three shots coming home to settle for a nine under par 62. Mark Tompkins has more. 
England's Tom Lewis briefly reached 12 under par and it looked for a long time as if the elusive 59 never before done on the European Tour would come his way but having eagled the par 5 fourth he dropped a shot on the following hole and then two more drop shots coming in saw him settle for a 62 but it was a 62 tinge with a little bit of disappointment that he hadn't managed to make history. It does seem in a tie for the lead at the top of the board though Thomas Peters and Joachim Lagergren from Sweden both shot rounds of 62 to also equal the club record this morning and they sit at the top one shot clear of the Welshman Bradley Dredge he was out this morning as well with a 63 so too David Lipsky who heads up three players on six under par Richard Sterney one of the later finishers shot a round of 66 he's in a tie for eighth place but it was all about Lewis who couldn't quite get over the line but he is in a tie for the lead after day one after an excellent round of 62 that's your sport news this hour Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa. A standoff between South Africa's finance minister and the Hawks draws mixed reaction from parties in Parliament. South Africa's High Court to hear state's application to leave to appeal Oscar Pistorius' sentence and calls for East European countries to ease their restrictions on Middle East migrants. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine for today and for the week. For myself, Lulu Kabu, producer Ronnie and Tutungaveni, technical producer Adrian Kenny and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica or send an SMS on 277 Now taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa is Papa Wemba with a track title Show Me The Way. Take me by the end Show me the way I can go Take me by the end Show me the way